Well, good morning. It snowed. I, uh, you can tell I have some mixed feelings about that. I'm not a, not a big snow guy. It's really pretty, but it's also dangerous. Anyways, hey, uh, just, hey, just another quick highlight that I thought I, I, uh, we, uh, we, didn't, we didn't mention it up front, but hey, did you know Edinburgh Church turned 69 years old this week? 69. That's almost 70 years of ministry. Yeah, that's really cool, you guys. Uh, used to be BCBC, for, and I know we still have some Brooklyn Center Baptist Church people around. That's awesome. And they are the patriarchs and matriarchs of this place. And then eventually, you know, we moved locations and came here. And seven, almost 70 years of ministry. So that's really cool, you guys. So I just thought I'd share that. I think that's, that's a cool thing, man. God has been faithful for almost 70 years to this church. So that's really cool. Well, well, welcome. Uh, it's so good to have you with us. You guys are looking great. I also just want to say thanks. If you're tuning in online, thanks for joining us. Uh, my name is Joshua. If you don't know who I am, I'm the director of ministry here, and we're giving Brent a break, man. That dude is just a preaching machine, and I'm like, dude, you need, you need come up for air. So, um, but we've been in a series called "The Names of God," and of course, we've been looking at names of God, right? Uh, particularly, we've been looking at a lot of the compound names for God, Yahweh. So we've looked at Yahweh, Yaira. Yahweh Roi, Yahweh Rapha, but we've also looked at some other names. Like last week, uh, we talked about Abba Father, and and the beautiful thing about these names is that they give us a picture of who God is. They give us a snapshot into His personality, His characteristics, and that's why we're doing this series because we can learn a lot about our God by looking at His names. Now. Let's be honest, when it comes to names, okay, taking God, taking God out of the equation for a minute, when it comes to names, sometimes certain names in our minds can conjure up not-so-fuzzy feelings. Am I right? I would wager that there are names from your childhood that if you heard that name today, there's part of you that would go, uh, right? Because we know that, that kid, right? Now, I, I can relate to this because I had a mother who was a teacher, and my mother would tell me stories of how hard it was to name me and my brother because every name that they came up with had a characteristic or a personality kind of associated with it. Are there any teachers in the room that can relate to it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So now eventually, uh, my mom landed on the name Joshua for me. And I am named after the biblical character Joshua. Which I thought, That's cool. But I can stand before you and tell you that I have not always given the name Joshua a good reputation. The name Joshua is not synonymous with angelic or perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I've had my share of giving my name a bad reputation. For example, back in the year 1987, I'm going way back, right? I'm pretty sure that Mr. O'Brien of Linden Road in Woodbury was not very fond of the name Joshua. You see, it was summertime, and uh, one of my good friends, whose name was Jeff, Jeff and I were friends with uh, Mr. O'Brien's son, Will, okay? And we went over to the O'Brien home to see if Will was home, because we were like, that's what you did. You rode your bikes everywhere. You played outside. Nobody does that anymore, but that's what they did back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was a kid. So we, we went to the house, we knocked on the door, we rang the doorbell, nobody's home. So now Jeff and I are sitting there and we're like, we're standing in the driveway, well, what do we do now? I don't know. When all of a sudden we notice some packages along the side of the garage. 
And we, like, what's that? So we, we go over to investigate, and they're stacked about this high, I kid you not, along the side of the garage of the O'Brien home, is like six or seven cases of New York seltzer. Now, do you guys remember New York seltzer? I have a picture of it. I, do, yeah, there, do you guys remember this stuff? This was my childhood, man. This stuff was like super popular in the 80s, and I loved this stuff, okay? And here we have six or seven cases of it along the side of the garage. Now, Jeff and I are standing there. It's summer. It's hot. And they're like, what would be the harm if we just helped ourselves to one bottle, right? I mean, what's no, he would offer us a bottle of seltzer, right? So we, and of course, my favorite flavor, black cherry, was right on top. So we ripped open the case and we helped ourselves to a bottle. Well, what started as one bottle of New York seltzer turned into absolutely demolishing three to four cases of his seltzer water. Yeah, you guys ever seen like when someone wins a Daytona 500 and they take the champagne and they just, you know, okay. Yeah, that's kind of what we did for like 15 minutes. We'd take a sip. We were spraying, we were spraying each other. We're spraying the house. We're spraying the shrubs. I think there's a guy that went by on a bike. We tried to stray. I mean, we just, we were partying like it was 1999, okay? It was just, we had a good time that day. And then all of a sudden, after going through like two or three cases of this stuff, we're like, we finally came down from our seltzer rush, right? The, effervescent affected our brains or something. And we looked around and there's just scattered seltzer bottles all over the ground. And all of a sudden it hit us. Uh-oh. Like, dude, we got to get out of here now before there's any witnesses. So we got on our bikes and we hightailed it out of there as fast as we could. And we're like, Lord, please don't let there be any witnesses. Okay. Well, <laughs> Later that day, Mr. O'Brien invites me over to have a talk. And he shares with me, that he says, I know. He says, I know it was you and Jeff who got into my seltzer water. Now, I've never been so scared in my life. Mr. O'Brien was 220, he's like, he had to be 220 pounds. He's built like a linebacker. Picture a big Red-headed, strong Irishman. This is Mr. O'Brien, okay? And here's what he did. He looked me in the eye, you know, actually he looked down at me, let's be honest. And he says, I'm going to give you a choice. He says, I'm going to give you 24 hours. I'm going to give you a day to tell your parents what you did. And I'm going to swing by tomorrow to see if you felt. Can I just say, that is like the worst trick a parent can play on a kid that is so, that just messes with a kid's brain, okay? It's the psychological, like, is he bluffing? But I, it totally worked, man, because I went home, I fessed up, I told my mom and dad, of course I got in trouble, I probably got grounded, and I had to pay Mr. O'Brien back for every bottle of seltzer water that we enjoyed in that day. It totally worked. Now, why am I telling you this story? Well, because reflecting on us, here's the thing. I can stand before you, and I know that what I did that day was wrong. I know I did it. I knew that I was trespassing. I knew that I was stealing. And I knew that I was damaging property, yet I ignored the warning in my head 
and in my heart, and I did it anyway. Now, can any of you relate to this? Doing, right, the thing that you know you shouldn't. Now, I think most human beings would, for the most part, be willing to admit they've made mistakes, that they struggle with their behaviors sometimes. Most people would say, I've done wrong, okay? I've been in the wrong before. I'm not a perfect person. Now, in Bible terms, it means that we have a sin condition, okay? We are sinful. And this is the core problem of being a human. This is the flaw that we cannot get away from. We cannot escape this. We are, whether we want to admit it or not, sinful by nature. Friends, we are in the wrong. I want you to latch on to that. We are in the wrong. And that therein lies the problem for today that I want to talk about. Because God is righteous. He is right. He is holy. He is perfect. He can't tolerate sin. He can't tolerate our wrongness. Okay? Yet, we want to get right with God, right? We want to get close to God, but the problem is, is that our sin condition, it gets in the way. Now, we're not alone in this, right? I'm sure you felt this. This has been a problem throughout all of humanity. Even people in the Bible, okay, there are tons of examples of people that wrestle with their sin condition. Even incredible heroes of the faith like David, Okay, let's just pick on David for a minute. Okay, David, right? This is the same David who took down Goliath, right? Incredible man. This is a guy who is known in the Bible as being a man after God's own heart. But even David couldn't escape his wrongness. Same David who, by the way, and this always blows my mind, there's a guy that was hunting him, wanted to see him dead. David actually had a chance to sneak up on this guy in a cave and kill him and end this being chased. But he didn't. He showed the guy mercy. You're talking about incredible character, right? You think of David. But even David wrestled with this concept of, there's something wrong with me. And we find out what plagued him in 2 Samuel 11. We hear the dark side of the story. You see, he sees this woman bathing. And immediately that I, that look, turns to lust. And he commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. But then he's not done. He actually takes it a step further. Now he's desiring this woman, and he has her husband murdered. And then to top it all off, when he's confronted by this, he lies to a prophet, of all people, trying to deny it. And the prophet, this guy named Nathan, calls him out on this. And all of a sudden, all that wrongness, all that junk, it just, whoop, there it is for the whole world to see. And David has this agonizing, heart-wrenching moment where he knows, I am in the wrong. Can, can I show you what he, what he writes in Psalm 51? Because he does a, a fantastic job in his own heartbroken way of explaining our wrongness. Okay, look at Psalm 51 with me. Here's what David says. He says, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. Man, he is grasping at anything. He's so broken, you guys. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Now, don't miss this. Blot out my 
transgressions. Man, if you're a note taker, man, I would underline the word transgressions. Here's what else he says. Wash away all my, I would underline, iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. I would underline that word sin. Now we find in these three verses, man, where David is just pouring his heart out, three different words that describe the sin condition. These three words, they're all different. They're all different ways that he uses to communicate how he has violated God's standard. He has done the wrong thing. Now, what's interesting is that David, he could have used the same word three times, but he doesn't. I think what he's really trying to do, man, he is, guys, he is pouring his heart out on this paper. And he's trying to put to paper, right, just how much pain he is feeling, how much wrongness he is wrestling with. And he uses these three words. And the three Hebrew words he used are translated as, right, transgressions, iniquity, and sin. Three different words in the scriptures, all commuting the same principle, man, that I have violated God's righteousness. I am in the wrong. Now, transgression is the Hebrew word pashah. Now, that sounds like a cool word, but it's really not. I hate to say that. It means to rebel. It means to trespass. The Hebrew word for iniquity is yavan, and it means, it means crooked, bent, twisted. And then he uses the word sin. And sin is the Hebrew word. It means to miss the mark. Picture, picture an archer. It's supposed to give this picture of an archer who fires at a bullseye, and he can't hit the bullseye. He misses the mark over and over again. Three words that sum up our wrongness, our sin condition, transgression, iniquity, and sin. All words to describe how we are unable to get close to God because he is in the right and we're wrong. Now it's at this point that I want to introduce the name of Yahweh that we're going to be looking at today because it ties into this concept of wrongness. We need to understand that Yahweh is holy. He's always right. He is righteous. And it's the name Yahweh Tzidkenu. That's a really fun word to say, by the way. Yahweh Tzidkenu. Now, if you're going to try and spell that, it's T-S-I-D-K-E-N-U. And the meaning of this name for God is the Lord, our righteousness. You see, we have a sin condition that cannot be solved on our own, but God is going to reveal a solution to our sin condition. And it's found in his powerful name, Yahweh Tzidkenu. Now we get this name from Jeremiah 23. So let's look at this together. All the way back, Jeremiah is talking to the people. He's talking to God's people as a representative for God. He's the voice for God. And here's what he says, starting at verse 5. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior, Yahweh Tzidkenu. 
the Lord our righteousness. So we're going to talk about the righteousness of Yahweh and how that applies or covers our sin condition. Now, the root word here for righteousness in the Hebrew language here actually means to be straight. I mean, we're talking laser straight, okay? To put it another way, think of it this way. God has a line, and that line is a perfect straight line. God has a standard, and that standard is perfect. It's straight. That line is called righteousness. Now, going back to our three Hebrew words that David showed, right, for being in the wrong, we learned from David, to transgress, it means to cross that line. Iniquity, it means to twist or bend that line. How many of you have ever tried to bend or twist or manipulate someone before? Same thing. And sin, it means to completely fall short of that line. Not even close. You see, guys, God has a straight line called righteousness. And because we have a sin condition, you know what we do? We cross the line. We bend that line. We fall short of that line all the time. But no matter where you fall short, it's all considered sin. It gets in the way of us getting to God. And you know what, David, I think what he was doing by sharing those three words in Psalm 51, I think he was basically saying, God, I've done all three things to you. I have crossed the line, I've bent the line and twisted it to fit my own needs and desires, and I have fallen short. That's what David's saying. That's why he uses those three words. He's like, every possible way that I could screw this up, I screwed it up. That's what David is saying. Now I have more bad news for you. Boy, I'm really a bummer today, aren't I? I have more bad news for you. Every one of us has it. We are all infected by this sin condition. It's more potent than COVID. Too soon? Sorry. It has affected 100% of humanity. And we all have a sin condition. Sin is universal. We all miss the mark. I know because, well, I've experienced it. And God's word lays it out for me. He tells me the truth. Romans 3 says it this way, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short. We all fall short of the line of God's glorious standard. Even way back in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 7 puts it this way. He says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. Sin infects us the moment you are born. We know this because, well, we see it in little people all the time, right? Well, we see it in big people too, let's be honest. But it's really easy to see in little people. They already know how to do this. I remember uh, my daughter, Kyla, who's now 18 and wonderful. She's in college now. I remember when she was a toddler, okay? She's two or three years old. We go to Grandma and Grandpa's house, and Grandma and Grandpa had this lamp it was like a loon. They were into loons. It was like loon and had like, like leaves and cattails kind of sticking out of the bottom, but it was kind of, it was fragile. And Kyla was just fascinated with this lamp. She wanted to touch it all the time. And of course, mom and dad are like, no, 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 no touch. No, only look, right? But she would go over and she'd touch it. I remember one day she walked over just blatantly defiant of, of Chris, my, my wife, Christina. And she reached up and she grabbed one of the plastic cattails. It was 
And she looked right at my wife, and my wife said, Kyla, Annette, do not touch that. And she looks right at her and goes, snap, she just snapped it flat. And I, I'm just, I'm backing up, and I got popcorn, right? I'm like, how's, how's this going to go? Man, this is going to be fun to watch, right? Blatant disobedient, right? Now, Christina, we didn't have to teach Kyla that. She knew how to be disobedient all on her own. Now, my daughter is awesome, okay? Let me just defend, like, I love my daughter. But my daughter is still infected by sin. I don't have to teach her that because it's in her nature. It's in our nature. Even David pointed this out in Psalm 51, verse 5. He said this, Surely I was (laughs) sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. What's the effect What's the effect of our sin condition? Well, friends, the effect of the sin condition is death. This is what the Bible tells us, that God created Adam and Eve, and when they rebelled against God, sin entered into the human race. Romans 5 puts it this way. This is such a good way to think of it. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through that sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned, every one of us. Romans 6 puts it this way, for the wages of sin is death. Wages, right? Wages means payment. So what is is the payment of our sin? What is the paycheck of our sin? It's death. And none of us will be able to escape physical death. Now, to be clear, it's not just physical death. There's also a spiritual separation that comes with sin. All of us will now experience a spiritual separation from Yahweh. We can't get to him anymore. The result of this eternal separation is that we are now bound to a place called hell for eternity. That is a fact. This is what the Bible teaches, that the consequence of our sin condition is physical death and permanent spiritual separation from Yahweh. You know, there's another component to having a sin condition that I call the sin ambition. And I read this in an article, and I really like this. The sin ambition. Now, what do I mean by what? What do you mean by that? What is sin ambition? In other words, what is sin's main desire for your life? One word, control. Sin desires to control you. You know, there's a story in Genesis about a a guy named Cain. Now, Cain was the first son of Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that in Genesis, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. But it wasn't what the Lord had asked him. It wasn't what the Lord required him. If I can be honest, I think Cain just kind of brought it and it was just kind of half-hearted. Like, okay? And and it says that that God rejected that gift, rejected that. That, uh, that offering. And, and so Cain goes off and pouts. Okay, let's just be honest. And God goes to Cain. Do you know why this is beautiful? Because God's a relational God. He goes to Cain and he's kind of like, Cain, what, what's, what's the problem, man? What's wrong? And Cain, because I, well, I brought this offering to you and it wasn't good enough. Now, God's not a fool. He knows that it wasn't brought with the right attitude. And listen to God's response in this. Verse 7. 
God says, you know, Cain, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Friends, sin's desire is to control you. Sin desires to master you. Sin desires to enslave you. Sin desires to own you. It wants to control every part of your life. It wants to control your emotions. It wants to control your mind. It wants to control your spiritual direction. It wants to even control you physically. I have seen the effects, all four areas that sin can wreak a havoc on a person's life. Guys, sin wants to be the boss. It does. Now at this point, again, I haven't given you very much good news. But there is good news. There is a solution to the sin condition and sin's ambition. Enter the person of Yahweh Tzidkenu. Now this is where we connect the dots between our sin, our wrongness, and the power of Yahweh's name found here in Jeremiah 23, his righteousness. We're going to connect the dots here. See, in Jeremiah 23, the prophet, right, he's speaking to the people for God himself. He's giving them a message from Yahweh himself. And Jeremiah is saying that because you have, guess what, transgressed, rebelled, crossed the line, and fallen short of God's perfect standard, there are going to be consequences. Now, for the nation of Israel at the time, the consequence was that God allowed other nations, right, to invade and to scatter his people. I can't even imagine. But then as we continue to read Jeremiah 23, we see the promises that Yahweh Tzidkenu lays out. He's going to bring his people back. He says, you know what? You guys can't do this on your own, so I'm going to do the work for you. He's going to provide a way back to himself. Now here's where it gets really good. Really good. Yahweh then gives Jeremiah a messianic promise, it's called, to his people. That he's going to raise up a branch out of David who is righteous. Now, a branch of David, it just means an offspring, right? A descendant of David, someone from his lineage. I'm going to raise up a king. He's going to say, who's literally, his name is literally going to mean the Lord our righteousness. Literally. Fast forward 600 years. And we pull out our Bibles and we open the Gospel of St. Matthew. And in the very first chapter, do you know what it says? It says, Mary, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their what? Transgressions, iniquities, sins. There it is. Yahweh sends his own son into the world to deal with our sin condition. Jesus Christ is the promised king from the lineage of David who would become who? Yahweh Tzidkenu. Jesus shows up to personally deal with our sin condition. You know why? Because we're unable to. We can't do it. 
2 Corinthians puts it this way. Check this out. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. <laughs> I'm turning to Brent, sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ, who was sinless, you guys, wants to be your righteousness. Because you have a sin condition, it needs to be dealt with. And if we're found in him, don't forget those, th that one word. It is so important, you guys. I-N, in. If you're found in him, God credits Jesus' righteousness to you. Do you know what that's called? The great exchange. That's what it's called. Jesus Christ is now the bridge that will bring us back to God. Guys, what a deal. What a deal to be found in Christ. Jesus Christ is the living embodiment of Yahweh Tzidkenu. The promise that Jeremiah shared way back in chapter 23 was Jesus Christ. So how do we claim this? And I'm like, well, this sounds like a great deal. How do I claim this? Man, can, can I show you a passage that this week has just come alive for me? It's found in Philippians chapter 3. And this is where, man, I want to get down into the weeds of connecting these dots. Listen to this in Philippians 3. This is Paul, okay, who has experienced salvation through Jesus. He, ex he has experienced the righteousness of God. Here's what he says. Not only these things, but now I think that all things are worth nothing compared with the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Christ... I lost all these things, and now I know that they are all worthless trash. In fact, if you were here many, many weeks ago, Pastor Brent used the word scubalon. That's the same word. Garbage. Only I'm keeping it PG because we're in church. He used a much nastier word. Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying, listen, any achievements, any accomplishments, any awards, any trophies, any titles, they are lame compared to this truth that I am covered by the righteousness of Christ. You know, he goes on. All I want now is Christ. That's all I want. I want to belong to him. In Christ, I am right with God, but my being right, listen to this, this is important, my being right does not come from following the law. Translation. I'm not made right with God because I followed all the rules, because I went to church and sat in my chair, because I gave to charities, because I gave money, because I was busy, because I'm good enough, gosh darn it. He's saying, wrong, that's not it. He goes on. Me being right with God, you know what? It comes from God through faith. God uses my faith in Christ to make me right with him. It has nothing to do with anything you can do. Zip. 
Let me, let me illustrate this, okay? I, like, I want to I like, make this so clear because this truth is so powerful, you guys. Let me illustrate this with a, just a simple illustration. This box represents you. It represents me, right? It's not a pretty box. It has marked and it's wrinkled and it's just been beat up. And I have a feeling a lot of us can feel this way. Like, we recognize, man, we are covered with sin and iniquity and transgressions and, and it, it, sins from our past, from our present, from our future even, and we're just a mess. Why? Because we have a sin condition. Do you know what our default setting tends to be? We tend to say, I got this. You know, if, if, I just, if I just clean myself up a little bit more, I'll be okay. I'm a good enough person. I got this, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick myself, right? That's the American way. Pick yourself up by my bootstraps. And I'm, I'm going to try harder. I'm gonna, I can clean that up. You know, maybe, maybe if I do, do more acts of good, right? If I, if I go over and bring my neighbor cookies, that's good, right? And maybe if I just give a little more money, that'll clean me up. Maybe if, I, maybe if I just served more. Maybe if I go work at the charity down the road, yeah, I'll rub that one out. Man, but here's the deal. As much as I rub this thing, it's not doing anything. It doesn't work. You know, Isaiah had something to say about our feeble efforts at trying to make ourselves right. Listen to this in Isaiah. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And our righteous acts, the things that we think make us right, are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. In other words, guys, you, you can't do enough good deeds. You can't give enough money. You can't wipe away your own transgressions, iniquities, and sins in your own power. It can't be done. Why? Because you have a sin condition. Paul makes it clear that to become righteous, we've got to put aside our attempts at trying to earn it and simply be in Christ. Just be in Christ. Now, if we're willing to receive that truth, to simply receive and be in Christ, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says God credits Christ's righteousness to our account. Now, that doesn't mean, right, that we're all of a sudden perfect people. But I love what Pastor Brent said last week. He says, no, 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 we are saints who occasionally sin. We're still not perfect, but we are saints, now, guys, I want, to get the, I want to get at the heart of this. Receiving this truth, like coming face to face, you guys, with our sin condition, it actually does require something of us. I really believe this. We can learn more about how to deal with this correctly by going back and looking at David. Can we go back to Psalm 51? I want to show you this. Because just, just, this just hit me this week, you guys. Psalm 51. 
David continues to pour out his heart. And here's what he says in verse 16. He says, you know, God, Yahweh, you don't really want sacrifices. You don't want my feeble attempts at trying to earn my salvation, earn your trust, earn your love. You don't want even, you don't want my half-hearted sacrifice. You don't want anything that I could possibly bring. Or you know what? If that is what you want, I would give them to you. David goes on, the sacrifice that God wants is a humble spirit. He says, God, you will not turn away someone who comes with a humble heart and is willing to obey you. And David nails it. That's why I think God God covered David with his righteousness because David understood that I actually have to surrender. Guys, here's what this looks like. You got to come to a point where you say, God, I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired of my attempts at trying to earn your love, trying to earn your salvation. I am tired. And man, I, I can't do it anymore. And you know what? I need you to carry me. I need you to cover me. I'm not good enough. And you know what Paul says? You just got to be in, in Christ. You place your faith in Christ. And the beautiful thing is that when you do this, God now credits Jesus' righteousness to you because you're in Christ. When God looks at you, what does he see? He sees Christ. Because you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yahweh said all I want for you, I want you to let go of your attempts (laughs) to try to work harder, to try to earn more. You can't. My heart for you, honestly, is that you get to a place like David and you you surrender. You say, I can't. My life's a mess. I want to be in Christ because I know that I'm covered. I'm made new. Friends, if, if, if that's you here this morning, and I, I believe there could be someone in here and you're like, man, you, that is how I'm feeling, and I need that. I just want to close us in prayer. And, and I, w- I want you to join me, and I'm, I'm gonna, I want to pray for that person that, that is here watching online, and, and that just resonates with you. So, church, would you, just, would you just join me? Let's just talk to Yahweh for a moment. Let's just come clean. Yahweh, first and foremost, we just recognize just how much power you have, just how much love and compassion you have for us because we have a sin condition. So God, we confess that to you. We confess the times that we've transgressed our iniquities where we've bent the line and the times that we've fallen short. And God, we just confess those to you and we're sorry.
And for those of us that have this relationship with you, we just say thank you that we are in Christ and that can never be taken away from us. Thank you that when you look at me, you see Jesus covering me. I can't wait to get to heaven to be with you. Lord, I also just want to pray for that person here. Maybe they haven't made that decision to surrender. To say, I need that. So I want to pray for that person. And Lord, I would pray that they would, I would ask that they would pray this prayer silently with me. And they would say, Yahweh, I need your covering. I can't do this on my own. I am so tired. So I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he was perfect and that he wants to take my sin and give me his righteousness. And so, Yahweh, I receive your covering. I receive your righteousness. And I recognize it now. I'm a child of God. Thank you, thank you, Yahweh Sidkenu. We pray this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.